Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. I'm going to give you a sermon entitled... Maybe that's a sign to switch sermons. <laughs> I want to give you a sermon entitled, Paul Defends Paul from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. Verses 1 to 20. And uh, we'll read it as we go along, and then uh, I'll make these, uh, make these comments. But let's, uh, let's make a prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be your messenger in this moment. I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. The Word is sufficient. The Spirit is sufficient. And I know that I am not sufficient. I pray, Lord, that you would guide my lips. Most of all, Lord, I pray you'll guide my heart. I pray that you'll help me to embrace everything that I say as a truth that I need to make a part of my life. And I pray the same for my friends here today. I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The letters of the New Testament are called the epistles, and it's the letters of the New Testament that are the most consulted parts of the Scripture in, I think, Bible-believing churches, second only to the Psalms. And so every problem that a church can face, in my opinion, is dealt with by the Scriptures. Every problem a church can face is dealt with by the Scriptures, either in plain language or in principle and the, and the implications that come from it, which tells us that the Scripture is a very important book. We have to remember that the Bible is not like any other book. The Bible was breathed out by God. And so when you, what you have in your lap, if you have a, a Bible, if you have a phone and a Bible on it, that's not a Bible. <laughs> But if you have a Bible in your lap, you have the very words of God. You have the special information that God wanted you to have. And God, by His providence and by His grace, has given to us the word of the Lord. Now, in this chapter, chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is defending himself against the congregation at Thessalonica. This is something that pastors and Christian ministers are sometimes forced to do to defend themselves to their congregations. Now, I've been a pastor my whole adult life, which means I've never had a job. (laughs) My hands are very soft. (laughs) So there are times when the congregation and the pastor become at odds with one another. Of course, Paul is not the sitting, presiding pastor over the church at Thessalonica. He's the apostle to this church. He, actually, he, he, uh, he has a, a, a form of authority over them, but it's still this, the common difficulties you find between pastors and churches. Now, one of the reasons why pastors and churches have conflict sometimes is pastors and churches misunderstand each other. Sometimes pastors are misunderstood. Sometimes, sometimes congregations are misunderstood. And sometimes the problems in churches can be caused by pastors themselves because pastors are just sinners like everybody else, right? Let's have a little more help with that. I'm saying something bad about the pastor, and you should say amen. (laughs) All pastors are sinners, right? And as such, they are prone to error themselves. So sometimes pastors are their own worst enemy. 
When I was a kid growing up, the preachers would always say, your greatest enemy in the Christian life is the person who you shave or paint every morning. <laughs> Covers both halves, doesn't it? Now, it may seem superfluous to us to deal with this today, but it won't hurt us to see, see how the apostle responds because these, th- these kinds of things still happen today. You know, we've got a lot of people visiting here over the holidays and that kind of thing. And what do you want to hear when you go to church on vacation? Well, you want to hear something good that's going to be helpful to you. This is a part of our regular preaching here at, at Faith. We're going through First Thessalonians together. And so maybe you'll learn something today you can take back to your congregation or maybe you're here and you've become disenchanted with Christianity and church in general. And maybe you'll, maybe you'll learn something today that will help you. Now, the Apostle Paul is, seems to be defending himself in this chapter because of something he has heard from Timothy. Remember, Paul went to Thessalonica and he preached there. He was only there for 21 days. He was there for a very brief time. Then he had to leave because of persecution hostility that, and hostility that broke out because of his ministry there. So he has to leave. And as he leaves, he goes to Athens, he goes to Berea, he goes to Athens. He, he begins to make uh, a part of his missionary journey, traveling in itinerant ministry, preaching the gospel in different places. So when he gets to Athens in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, he says, When I couldn't take it any longer, I sent Timothy back to check on you because he was curious about what was going on back there. And so Timothy went back to Thessalonica, and he comes back. And visits them. Then he comes back to Paul, and what he has to tell Paul is, Paul, everything is so great. That's what chapter 1 says. Everything is so great at Thessalonica, but not everything is as it should be. And so Paul begins to respond to these objections, these problems that are taking place there in the church. Now, part of this problem is being kept alive by Jewish believers, or by Jews in general, because this, there's hostility between Judaism and Christianity for a long time. Now, one of the reasons why the Jews, some of the reasons why the Jews were had a problem with Christianity is because this new religion of Christianity depended on their scriptures, claimed their messianic promises, and allowed the Gentiles to come into the body of Christ, which is the Lord's the Lord's body, and stay Gentiles, and that was that bothered them. That bothered them. Now, so when Timothy comes back with this information, he tells Paul, and Paul responds to it. Paul responds to it with this letter. Now, let's talk about these things, all right? Let's talk about the first thing we see here in verses 1 to 4. It's Paul's ministry among them. Here's the reading. For you yourselves, brothers, for you, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul tells them that my ministry, as I carried it out among you, was not a ministry of deception. It was not duplicitous. I was not trying to trick or bamboozle anybody. I came there to preach to you the gospel. And Paul says, I cared about the message so much that I was more concerned about pleasing God than pleasing you. Now this is exactly where churches and pastors run into problems. Because pastors know something that churches don't know. Pastors know that they while they are the servants of the church, they are not the slaves of the church. A pastor 
is God's man. He's God's servant. And sometimes when a pastor delivers his message, the people may think sometimes, who does he think he is to say what he's saying? How dare he presume? What gives him the right? Well, the right comes from the call. The right comes from an endowment from God to make a man a minister of the gospel and a minister of the new covenant. And so sometimes people say, who does he think he is to tell us anything? Well, most pastors I know don't think anything of that themselves, don't think of themselves too highly, although some do. Pastors just have a responsibility. And the responsibility is to declare to people the gospel of the grace of God. And to speak it with clarity and boldness. Everything that God's word says, I feel like, and I believe convictionally, everything that God's word says, I can say to you with the utmost confidence because I'm preaching to you God's word. Now there's, there's, there's a thing that I call teriology. Teriology are theological positions that are my own private opinions that may or may not be true, right? I'm going to give you a teriology, a teriology, some teriology in a minute. But Paul says, I've come among you by the providential working of God, and I've come there to tell you the truth. And Paul says, you know that when I came there and preached to you, people believed the gospel. So you know my entrance among you was not, in, was not vanity, it wasn't empty, it's something big happened here. And then he refers to how he has suffered for his message. Paul is saying, if my message was a message of, of, of deceit, then why do I keep on preaching the message that causes me suffering and sorrow? If you, if you preach a sermon to some, someplace and it causes problems and you're just faking it, why keep on preaching that same message unless it's the truth? That's why Paul says in verse 4, I've been entrusted with the gospel, therefore I speak. Not as pleasing men, but God which tries the hearts. This is something a pastor has got to get out of their head sometimes. And I face this every single week and because I want to preach a sermon. And when you guys walk out, I want everybody to say a couple things to me. The first thing I want you to say is, good sermon. I can't help it. I'm just a dude. I just, I like praise. I like affirmation. I want to hear good sermon. And the second thing I want to hear you say is, I'll be back next Sunday. <laughs> that's, the, that's the human side of it, right? And you can, and you can be lured into that kind, of, that kind of preaching and ministry where you're trying to please people. But Paul says, I'm not supposed to be trying to please you guys. I'm supposed to be trying to please God, which sometimes cannot, both things cannot be done at the same time. Sometimes it can, sometimes it cannot. Now, the Apostle Paul, he says this more than once. He says this in Galatians chapter 1, where he says, Am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? The message that Paul has proclaimed amongst them is a, the message of the truth. It's the gospel and it causes him suffering. And Paul says his motivation for ministry does not come from the people saying good job or saying how great he is, but his motivation for ministry comes from pleasing his God, pleasing his master. Now, we have to focus on pleasing, being 
We have to focus on pleasing God more than pleasing man. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, that uh, the fear of man brings a snare. When you make all your decisions based on what people are going to think about it, when, you're, when, you, when you test the wind before you make a decision, that's going to get you in trouble. When you're trying to lead, make all your decisions based on popular opinion, you're going to get yourself in a trap. In a trap. My friends, the apostle is saying to us is that all that matters is being faithful to God. And to be faithful to God will oftentimes, will oftentimes mean that we are going to be a disappointment to others. You're going to disappoint others. I, I experienced this, I've experienced this more than once at a funeral service where somebody's come and say, well, you, you'll see, do a, do a funeral for our, our loved one. I say, okay. And they say, now, you know, just do the regular stuff. What exactly does that mean? The regular stuff. And I tell people, I said, if you want someone to give a eulogy for your loved one, you got to get somebody else to do it. You need to get somebody else to eulogize, to tell the goodness about them. That's what the word means. Because I'm there to evangelize. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to press the claims of Christ as clear as I can. And if you don't want me to do that, then get somebody else to do the service. And I say it it very nice because I'm a super nice guy, right? (laughs) So... You can disappoint people sometimes. But my friends, in the last day, you don't want to have disappointed God. God. He is our king. He is our master. He is our Lord. He is our father. So Paul talks about his ministry among them. He says, my ministry among you was not with deceit. It was with integrity. It was with boldness. And I spoke boldly even though it caused me difficulty. Now, the second thing Paul says in verses 5 to 12 is he talks about his manner amongst them. This is how he was. This is how he treated the people. Now, he's asking them to remember how it really was. Have you noticed that the older you get, how much more beautiful the past becomes? Back in the good old days. If we could, back when I was a kid, and everybody was decent and upright, Back in the 50s and everything was black and white and there was no color. <laughs> I used to watch those old shows and think, when did they invent color? You know, because Andy Griffith was in black and white. <laughs> the older we get, you remember, you guys, you got, how many of you guys are uh, 40 plus? Say amen. amen. Now, those, those people probably remember the No Fear t-shirts. Remember No Fear? And there was a No Fear t-shirt that I thought was so great. It was said, the older I get, the better I was. <laughs> Paul is asking them to remember what it was really like, like when I was there. Remember, he's responding to criticisms. Somebody has said, you know, old Paul, he thinks too much of himself. He's just greedy. Paul is calling them to remember how he, his ministry really was amongst them. Listen to the reading, verses 5 to 12. For we never came with words of flattery. As you know, 
nor with the pretext for greed, God is witness. Now this is striking to me because Paul is saying, before God, with my hand to God, I wasn't there with flattery or deceit. I was trying to take advantage of you. He's swearing himself. I think this is incredible because Jesus says not to swear. But here Paul says, before God, God is my witness. This is how it was. This was my intention. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Now here Paul says, there were privileges that I could have demanded from you as an apostle of Christ. And this word apostle is an important word. It means a designated sent messenger. I could have demanded that you treat me in a certain way. I could have demanded that you, you know, park my car for me. I could have demanded that you provide my food and my housing and my clothing. I could have made demands on you, but I chose not to do that because my mission there was not anything other than your welfare, to tell you the gospel, to teach you the truth. But we were gentle among you, How gentle, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now, I have seen mothers nurse their children. Now, we had five kids, Valerie and I, and she nursed all five of them. And I've watched how this happens. As she takes those little children in hand and pulls them to her bosom and feeds them. I've also seen that it can be very painful when those little rats start growing teeth. (laughs) Paul says, this is my attitude with you guys. Gentle. Suckering them. Nurturing them. Putting up with their... This is how I am with you. I care for you deeply. This is how my ministry was conducted amongst you. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves because you became very dear to us. Paul says, and I I gave you the gospel, but more than that, my care for you was not just about getting another, uh, another decision written down on the decision card. My affection for you was I was of was was so great that I was willing to give to you my very self. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians to the church at Corinth. He says, Very gladly will I spend and be spent for you, laboring on your behalf, because he cares for them. This is his manner amongst them. Look at the reading, verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil... We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Now, in Paul's time, this was quite common, is that these traveling ministers do not make any demands upon the congregations for their livings. This was Paul's chosen method. And I've read down through church history about pastors who have decided that they should take no salaries from their churches. Now, I remember sitting in my office one day, and I was reading Luke. 
and I read there that Jesus, now I was going through kind of a, you know, as a pastor, you go through, you go through lots of spiritual stuff, and I was thinking about, you know, am I really doing the right thing here? Is there something I'm lacking in my ministry? <laughs> and I remember reading Luke chapter, I think it was Luke chapter 11, where Jesus said, don't take anything with you on your journey. Don't take a coat and don't take a purse to put money in, right? And I thought, Lord, are you telling me that I should quit taking a salary? And I thought, that's probably what I should do. I should quit taking a salary. I should just go by faith. And so I left my office and was walking up the hill and walked in the house, and Valerie started telling me all the stuff we needed to buy, and I thought, Lord, I was wrong. <laughs> Lord, I need a raise. <laughs> now, some Christian ministers have made that decision. I'm not going to take a salary from anybody. I just live by faith. R.A. Torrey was one. George Mueller was one. There's lots of Christian ministers who've made that decision. But normally, churches pay their pastors. Normally, that's what happens. And I want to say to you, as your pastor here, that you guys pay me a nice salary, and I thank you very much for it. You guys take good care of my family and I. You take good care of us. I appreciate it very much. In my own experience as a Christian minister, every church that I've pastored has been very generous with me as far as my salary. Every church has. I have never been ripped off by a church, Christian church. And I say, I just want to say, God bless all those Christians who have given me more than a fair day's work, more than a fair day's pay for my work. They've always been generous to me. I've, I've, I've known a lot of Christian pastors who've been slighted by their congregations, who've been forced to, you know, God keeps you humble and the church keeps you poor, that kind, of, that kind of mentality. I've never experienced that. Let's keep it that way, right? <laughs> Churches have been so generous. Now, the Apostle Paul, he talks about this. Now, not for himself, but for others, Paul says, I never took money from you guys. I never asked anything for you. But Paul does teach us in his letters, he says you should pay. The workman is worthy of his hire. Don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. Paul says you should pay your pastors. And so, but Paul says, with you guys, I never made any demands upon you for salary. Never one time. He says, you know how I was with you. You are witnesses. And God also is a witness how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Paul says, this is how I was with you. Remember Remember, you ever have to be reminded sometimes, remember, and somebody goes back in their memory and they, they, they bring out some situation and you're like, oh yeah, that's right. I've misremembered. I've created my own. Now, this, this, this seems to be happening a lot with people. Is, is people, they create false narratives. They create false pasts. This is what you run into in counseling sometimes. Is people, when they focus on their, the pain of their past, it clouds what it was really like. And they can't see clearly anymore. Because the trauma overshadows everything, even the good times of the past. And I've, I've encountered this many times talking to people about things in their past. Is they say, my life's always been. And you have to say, always? And you go back and you kind of, you got to punch through and find little sources of light, little Little, little good points in their past. Paul says, remember how I was? 
Now, you could say, well, that's just Paul. Paul creating a false narrative. Paul creating a false past. Well, what Paul is saying here is he's calling God to be his witness. God knows. God knows. There's an interesting story in church history where Jonathan Edwards, the church that he pastored for, 20, I think it was 24 years, it was the church his grandfather had pastored before him, and Jonathan Edwards got fired from his own church. The reason he got fired from that church he pastored for 24 years was because, this is Communion Sunday for us, is that he came to the conviction that only people who were born again should take communion. His grandfather's position was everybody should take communion, whether or not they're a Christian at all, because there's something salvific in it, and it can be helpful to them, it can be evangelistic, it keeps them connected to the church, so let them all take communion. But Jonathan Edwards, as he's studying the scriptures, he says, no, that's not right. This is only for believers. And so his church, in response to his, his position, they fired him. Now, Jonathan Edwards at that time was the greatest preacher in New England. The most intelligent. And, and people say that Jonathan Edwards is probably the greatest theological mind America has ever produced. He wasn't just a giant brain of theology. He was a giant brain of many sciences. He was just, just an incredibly brilliant guy. And he got fired from his church, which means any, 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 any pastor can get fired from their church. Down in, uh, I'm not, not going to tell you this story, so I'm just going to move ahead. <clears throat> oh, why wow, I was talking about Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, he knew that his church was wrong and that he was right. And so when he preached his farewell sermon to them, he told them, he said, you and I are going to meet this one more time in the last day when you will know who was right and who was wrong. He says, before God, I know that I'm, I've done the right thing and I'm going to wait until the last day for it to be worked out. God will vindicate me in the last day. And then uh, God kind of vindicated him the next Sunday because they couldn't get anybody to fill the pulpit for the next Sunday. So guess who had to do it? Jonathan Edwards. He did it for the next 50 Sundays. <laughs> they fired him. Then they had to hire him for pulpit supply for a year. Ain't God cool? <laughs> and then he went on to be a missionary to the American Indians, and then he died about seven years later. Paul's calling them to remember how it really was. I was among you like a father, verse number 12. Look at the words he uses here. For, for you know how like a father with his children. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you. Like a father exhorting, stirring them up and encouraging them to go forward and giving them their, their orders, giving them their duty, charging them to walk in a manner worthy of the glory of God. To walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul said, remember how I was encouraging you to live in a way that honored God who had called you into his kingdom and glory? Now, don't gloss over those words, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The only way that you and I have become a part of God's kingdom and a part of God's glorious future is by his call. 
by his call. Now, right now, we're in, we're in the midst of their Major League Baseball season, right? And Michigan used to have a baseball team downstate. <laughs> in Michigan, we have the Detroit Tigers, right? And in Illinois, there's no baseball team in the whole state of Illinois. <laughs> but there is one in St. Louis, Missouri, right? Now, uh, well, how, many, how, many, how many Major League Baseball teams are there nowadays? Was there, is there 32 teams, 30 teams, 28 teams? I've forgotten. A lot of teams. Let, let's say that somebody here in their church wants to be a, a Major League Baseball player. Let's pick on somebody. Anybody here play baseball? Oh, we got these two guys play baseball. We got Parker and is it Zachary or Trevor? Trevor, are oh, you guys stand up right there. Can you stand up for a second? Everybody get a look at these guys. Parker, stand up for us. Everybody, uh, these are the uh, baseball players. All right, you guys can be seated. Now, these guys can, do you guys want to play pro baseball? Would you like to do that? Never thought about it. If they want to play professional baseball, if they want it with all their heart, and they work really, 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 really hard, is that going to be sufficient to get them into the big leagues? Nope. Because it's going to take a call. They have to be called into the big leagues. Some manager at some team's got to convince the, you know, the, uh, uh, whatever they're called, the managers, the managers, you got managers and God above him. Somebody higher up the food chain has got to say, call them and bring them in. And the only way you can become a Christian the only way you have become a Christian is because God called you to come into his kingdom and glory. To walk worthy of it. This idea of walking worthy here, we can illustrate that by talking about people who've, who've served in the armed services, who've worn the uniform of the United States government of America, and those who've been police officers, and they're called to live in a manner worthy of their oath. To live in a, in a way that says, I value my position. This is what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. Remember how I exhorted you to live in a way that honored your position as citizens of the kingdom of God, as a part of his glorious people? So that's Paul's manner among them. Like a father, like a nursing mother, gentle. Not, not leaning on them, but letting them lean on him. Let's talk about the third thing. These people give Paul's ministry meaning. Now, this is where I like to, I want to say this at the front, is that you cannot be a pastor without a congregation. To be a pastor with no congregation is to be no pastor at all. So the people are important in this whole thing. Paul says, these people, you guys give me meaning. Listen to the reading, verses 13 through 20. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. You guys heard my message, and you didn't just take it as being my message, you accepted it as what it was, it was the word of God. You believed it, you embraced it, you made it your own. 
which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. The Jewish Christians suffered at the hands of the Jews when they became Christians in Jerusalem. And these Gentile Christians are suffering when they chose to follow Christ. He talks about the Jews here. They killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. And that the Jews displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. This is, this is, a, this is a strong indictment against the Jewish people for their rejection of, their, of Jesus Christ, their Messiah, and the Savior of the world. Verse 17, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul says, you guys and your real, sincere, authentic faith, your perseverance in tough times, you are my crown of rejoicing. You are what give my ministry meaning. It's you. There's nothing more glorious than to be a gospel preacher and to preach the gospel and to see people believe the message and follow Christ. There's nothing more glorious. There's nothing more validating than seeing people take the message and make it their own. There's, no, there's nothing greater than to have somebody come and say to you, Pastor, you helped me to love Jesus. This, this stands out of my mind. This might be outside of my own family telling me this sometimes. This is the most significant uh, affirmation that I received. There's a guy, he was, he was visiting our church in Oklahoma, and he was a guy I really respect a lot. He's a preacher of, of some... Uh, renowned in his area, and uh, he's got a Ph.D. Theology is impressive. Um, I pastored a very small church. He pastored a very large church, the largest church of his kind in the state of Oklahoma. And um, after the service, he came up to me and he said, that message was such a blessing to me. You made me love Jesus more than when I got here. And man, I, I, I could have I could, I could floated to Hawaii. It was such a blessing. But you know what? There's, there's an even greater blessing. It's, it's, called, it's called the ongoing affirmation. Is that Adrian Rogers says it like this. He says that every church votes on their pastor every Sunday when they walk through the door. And so every Sunday when I get up here to, to preach, there you come, walking through the door to listen to me tell bad jokes, to preach too long and always make excuses for it, to hear my dumb stories, to hear me say over and over again, well, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> to hear me make, use all the same illustrations. But it's such a blessing to have you come and hear the word preached. 
You may, not, you may not go to church here. You may go to church somewhere else. But that's what, that's what you're doing for your pastor too when you walk in there. And you say, well, I don't really like my pastor. I feel you. I had a couple of pastors I didn't care for too. Sometimes it's because they're knuckleheads. Sometimes it's because I'm a knucklehead. But it works to get, see how we're all dependent on one another? Paul says to them, in spite of everything they've said, in spite of all the criticisms they've lobbed towards him, he, what does he say? You are my crown of rejoicing. You give my ministry validity. You give meaning to my life. You are important to me. Just want to point out one more thing and then one more thing and then we'll be done, all right? Paul says, he points out here how he wanted to come and see them, but he was hindered. It says, Satan hindered him. I wanted to come and see you, but Satan hindered me from coming there. John Gill, in his delicious commentary, his delicious exposition of the whole Bible, on this passage, he says, notice something here. Paul says, Satan has hindered me from coming to you. And while Satan has hindered Paul's plan, Satan was not able to hinder God's plan. Because in the workings of God, in God's providential plan for the ages, Satan stops Paul from going to Thessalonica, but the Holy Spirit leads Paul to write a letter to Thessalonica. And my friends, if Paul had went to Thessalonica in person, and spoken to them, how much of it would we be able to read today? How many of Paul's sermons that he gave at these, at these various churches have been taken down for us and preserved for us? How many? Well, the answer is zero. But we have Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. You see, Satan can hinder us, but he can't hinder God's plan. In your God's plan. Now, the last thing I want to say to you is about this thing about being the joy. James Madison Pendleton, who was a, a Baptist preacher, he was, a, in the, he was part of the, the landmark trifecta in the middle part of the 19th century. Um, he was a Southern Baptist until he, he fell out with him over slavery. He was, he was from Ohio, and everybody uh, else was from Kentucky and Tennessee. And he kind of separated from some of his friends. His, his, his only son was killed uh, in the Civil War. His, in fact, his, there was an artillery barrage, and his son was sitting on a hillside eating lunch when a, 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 a Confederate artillery round hit near him and killed him, and he died. And um, Pendleton lived a long time, but he, he wrote this little brief notes on the New Testament. And, he, and here's something that he says about verse number 19 and 20. He says, We may well imagine then when ministers meet in the presence of Christ with those who've been saved through their labors, there will be mutual congratulations such as the earth never knew. Think about it. When all the preachers of the ages get together and they meet all the people who came to faith through their preaching, what joy will be there? What gloriousness will be there? 
Because not every pastor, no pastor, has any idea how far their ministry has spread. No pastor does. Because people come and they go. You don't really know what's happening in their lives. But in the last day, there will be gathered around the throne, worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be here, to worship you. Father, I pray that you would accept this sermon as my act of worship to you this day. I pray these things in Jesus' precious and glorious name.